0: Hello and welcome to the fall Bible study at Park City's Presbyterian Church. My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you can join with us as we study God's word together. Today we're going to talk about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. We're going to be in John chapter 11, so if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and push pause and go grab one so that you can read with us as we study God's word together. When it comes to the existence of God, one of the oldest problems that people have wrestled with is known as the problem of evil, the problem of suffering. It acknowledges that we live in a world filled with grief, filled with sorrow, filled with suffering, a world where bad things happen. And yes, oftentimes what we assume is that bad things can even happen to good people. And so we ask questions like this if there is a God, and if he is both good and he's all knowing and sovereign, then how can those two things exist in a world that is broken, in a world where there is sorrow and suffering, in a world filled with evil? In an attempt to try to answer that question, for centuries, philosophers have been coming up with what's called a theodicy. Now, the definition of theodicy is the vindication of divine goodness and providence and view of the existence of evil. So again, the idea goes like this. We live in a world filled with evil, filled with grief, filled with sorrow, filled with suffering where bad things happen. And in a world like that, how can God both be good and how can he also be sovereign? How can there be providence? Because if God was good, if he's really good, if he really loved us, then he wouldn't allow these bad things to happen. And and if he was really sovereign, if he was in control, then wouldn't he step in and change everything? Now, in, in an effort to try to wrestle with this and offer a theodicy, theologians have been doing all kinds of things as well as philosophers. One solution, the problem of evil The idea of goodness and providence is to say, well, maybe God isn't good. Sure, he's in control. He can do all things, but there is no way a good God in control would allow this to happen. So he's just not good, and thus maybe God doesn't exist. That's what skeptics and philosophers over the years have tried to prove. More recently, on the opposite end, theologians who are perhaps not in the confines of orthodox Christianity have suggested that God is good and he loves us, but he must not be sovereign. He must not be in control. There's a word for that, or at least a term, it's called open theism. The idea that God doesn't know the future. He doesn't know what's going to happen and he's not in control. And so when bad things happen, it's not really his fault Of course, this is not what the Bible teaches. What I want us to see today is that the Bible actually sees a God who is both good and sovereign. And the Bible is not afraid that this God is both good and sovereign, exists, and is at work in a fallen and broken world. You see, it's a false dichotomy to think that these two things are mutually exclusive. God's love for us and His sovereignty in the midst of a fallen and broken world. In fact, it is when things are the darkest, when we are at our wit's end. when We are experiencing sorrow and grief in this most real sense, and we are confronted with suffering that we truly see God's love and God's care and God's power in all things. There's two words in the Bible that I think display this the most. It's the shortest verse of the Bible, and it's in our passage today. Jesus wept. What I want us to see today is that this is the greatest theodicy that the Bible has for us. The reassurance that Jesus is with us in our sorrow and the hope that we have that He is sovereign and powerful over all things. So as we've seen time and time again, in these miracles that we're studying, they're signs and wonders that point to the character of Christ. And when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, we learn something about who He is. And the first thing I want us to see want us to see the love of Jesus. Why don't you look with me at John chapter 11. John 11 verse 1, we're told that a certain man was ill and his name was Lazarus. Now, what you might not know is that the name Lazarus is, is a variation of the name Eleazar, which means God helps. And I think that's significant as we get into the story of Lazarus. His name means God helps that's exactly what we're going to see. Jesus stepping into suffering and stepping into grief and helping. And what we're going to see is Jesus not only helps Lazarus, but he helps you and he helps me. So we're told that Lazarus is ill. He has a sister named Mary and a sister named Martha. Verse 3 says, so the sister sent to him, that's Jesus saying, Lord, He whom you love is ill. That's the first thing I want you to see about Lazarus other than his name is that Jesus loved him. Now, I know that's a common thing that we say, and I'll talk more about that in just a second, that Jesus loves us. But what I want you to see is that Jesus' love for Lazarus is personal. His love for Mary and his love for Martha is personal. Jesus knew them face to face in his incarnation Lazarus was Jesus's friend. And so they came to Jesus saying, look, this is your friend, Jesus. You you love him and he's sick. Verse four. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Now, if you know the story of Lazarus, you know what we're about to read that this sickness, this illness actually does lead to death, that this illness takes Lazarus's life. And so, what is Jesus saying here in verse 4 when he says this illness does not lead to death? Well, already we're seeing the divinity of Jesus Christ in this moment. Jesus knows something. That Mary and Martha do not. Jesus knows that He will raise Lazarus from the dead. And so He tells them this illness does not lead to death. Moreover, He says it's for the glory of God. And so, a couple things I want you to notice Jesus already knows what's going to happen, He already knows the miracle that He will perform. And he knows that everything that's about to transpire is for the glory of God. Jesus is about to display how much he loves us, that his love and his sovereignty come together in our most darkest of moments. John continues. John 11, verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. So again, we see Jesus's love for them. So that verse six, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now, this is what I want you to notice. Mary and Martha come to Jesus. They tell him Lazarus is ill. He's sick. Jesus, please come help. We're told that Jesus loves them and he loves them so much that he stays right where he is. I, I, I want you for a moment to just sit with that tension. If Jesus loved them so much, don't you think that he would have dropped everything and gone to help Lazarus? But that's not what he does. John goes out of his way in verse 5 to make sure that we understand that Jesus loved Martha, loved Mary. And loved Lazarus. Why does he go out of his way? Because of what happens next. Because Jesus doesn't immediately go to help them. No, he stays right where he is for two days. And it's during that time where Jesus is just sitting that Lazarus dies. When we experience grief, when we experience heartache, when we experience the pain a truly broken and fallen world, that pain, that grief, that heartache, the fallenness that we experience every single day in the broken world around us, that does not mean that Jesus does not love us. No, it's actually in those moments that we see his love the most. But the truth is, so often we don't see it and we don't feel it. I think many of you know that just several weeks ago, our family learned that my brother-in-law, Jake, passed away. It was news that shocked us, it came out of nowhere, and we are still reeling in our grief. It's why this particular passage, as we study this together, is so personal to me. And just the other night, I was singing to my girls a song that we sing almost every night, a song that you're probably familiar with, whether you're a parent or not, a song called Jesus Loves Me. It's a biblical song. It's a true song, repeating the words over and over again for a child that Jesus loves me, this I know. And I have to be honest with you that as I sang those words to my daughters, I didn't feel it. Experiencing the grief and the heartache of losing Jake... The truth is in my in my soul, I didn't feel Jesus' love because that's what happens. When we're confronted with a fallen world, we, we question God's love for us. We, we wonder, does He really care? Does He actually love us? If He did, couldn't He have stopped this terrible tragedy from happening? But again, everything that we see in the story of Lazarus and everything that we see in our own stories is for the glory of God. Jesus loved Martha. He loved Mary. He loved Lazarus. He loves you and He loves me. And it's when we are struggling with grief the most that we begin to see what love and Christ's love for us really looks like. Romans 5, 3, Paul puts it this way. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In the midst of our suffering, it is in those moments where we can't rely on anything else other than Jesus that we truly experience the love that He has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want us to see as we continue to study the story of Lazarus together. Not only do we see the love of Jesus, I want us to see the patience of Jesus. John 11, verse 14, the story continues, and we're told that Jesus told all of them, that is, all of his disciples, that Lazarus had died. They'd waited for these two days together. Jesus tells them that now they need to go back to Bethany where Lazarus is, and his disciples are worried because if they go back on this road, it's going to be dangerous. You see, the authorities were beginning to catch wind of what Jesus was up to and they wanted to put them to death. And Jesus knew this, his disciples knew this, and yet Jesus said, we we have to go anyways. Two days have passed. It's time to go. It's time to heal Lazarus. So Jesus tells him Lazarus has died in verse 15, and for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Again, we we see this tension, and I, I really want you to experience this as you study this passage. Jesus waited for two days on purpose. He knew that if he waited, Lazarus would die. Notice what he says. He says, for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. How can Jesus say that? So that you may believe. Jesus knows something Mary and Martha and the disciples couldn't possibly fathom. Jesus knows that if, if he would have left immediately and just healed a sick man, that would have been one thing, but he had a greater miracle in mind. He waited on purpose for Lazarus to die so that you may believe. And what I want you to begin to catch is this wasn't just for Mary. It wasn't just for Martha. Martha. It wasn't just for Jesus' disciples, but every part of the story of Lazarus is for you and me. Jesus allowed Lazarus to die so that you and I might believe. You see, Jesus is showing extraordinary patience. The patience that can only come with being fully God. It's It's in this moment that we really see just how in control that Jesus is. He is in his divinity allowing all of this to happen. It looks like he doesn't know what he's doing by waiting these two days, and yet he is in complete control. He is showing divine patience. A.W. Pink, has commentary on this passage, he puts it this way. He says, let us learn from this, that when God makes us wait, it is the sign that he purposes to bless, but in his own way, usually a way so different from what we desire and expect. What is Pink talking about? You see, we see in this passage the patience of Jesus and the impatience of Mary and Martha. They're impatient with Jesus because they think he should have come sooner to to prevent Lazarus' death. And yet we see that what Jesus is showing, this is this extraordinary divine patience because his ways are bigger than our ways. The way that he works so often is a way that you and I might least expect. And in the moments when we are grieving, in the moments when we are confronted with the suffering of this world, it's so hard to see that Jesus is at work even in the midst of our brokenness. Gospel of John continues, verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days, Lazarus was dead. Not only had he died, but he'd been dead for four days. And this is significant. Rabbis would teach that in the first several days after someone dies, that there was still the presence of their spirit, their soul. And they believed in just the first one to three days after somebody died that it was still possible perhaps to resuscitate them. And so the fact that we're told that Lazarus was dead for four days means that he was completely dead. This was a Jewish way of saying that there was no hope for Lazarus. He had died and he was fully dead. Verse 18, we're told that Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them. So often is what we, we do today that when someone loses a loved one, we, we come, we, we gather together, we console them, we grieve together. That's what's happening here. Verse 20 So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. So I want you to imagine the scene. Mary and Martha are grieving they're grieving the loss of their brother. So many people have come to surround them, to grieve with them, to love them, to console them. And now they heard that Jesus has finally come. Now, remember, they had already sent for Jesus days before. They had already asked Jesus to come, and yet he's just now showing up. And in their minds, it's too late. Because of Jesus is waiting, Lazarus has died. And so Martha, verse 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I wonder how often have you prayed a prayer, something like that, to Jesus? In the wake of some tragedy, in the midst of grief, Perhaps it's losing a loved one or a friend like Mary and Martha lost Lazarus. Maybe it's in the midst of losing a job or perhaps it's some hardship in your marriage or difficulty at work or with a friend. Whatever it is, whenever we face difficulty and trial, whenever we suffer, we tend to say things to God like, if you had, we begin to play the what if game that if God, if you could have done this and you could have prevented this other thing from happening, that if you really loved me, you wouldn't have let this happen. Or if you really were sovereign and can control, you could have done something different. That's what Martha's doing with Jesus. She knows that Jesus has the power to heal. She knows that there's something in Jesus that makes him different than just being a normal human being. There's a part of her that even believes that Jesus is the Christ. And yet she comes to him and she says, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. You see, we're impatient with God. We're impatient with Jesus In the midst of suffering, we're impatient with him and we think that he should be operating on our terms and in our timing. But what we see here in the story of Lazarus is that God has a different way of operating. And Jesus, the son of God, has different things in mind. Verse 22, we see that even in the midst of Martha's doubt, Even if her asking this question, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. She says, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. It's a beautiful prayer of faith if you think about it. She's bringing her doubt. She's bringing her grief. She's bringing even her disappointment to Jesus. And in one hand, she's confessing her disappointment. And in the other hand, she's saying, and yet... I believe that you can do anything. This is what it means to have faith in the midst of our suffering. The story continues. We see in Romans 8, you know, the patience of Jesus is best expressed here, I think, in Romans 8, this idea of hope. In our impatience we lack hope, but when we have hope, verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we wait With patience. There's a deep connection with hopelessness and our impatience with God and hope and patience. Jesus says to her, verse 23, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection and the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It's one of the great I am statements in the book of John. In the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the doubt, in the midst of the questioning, Jesus shows patience towards Martha. And he tells her, I am the resurrection and the life. Not only do we see the patience of Jesus in this story, but we also see the sorrow of Jesus. Verse 30. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. So first Martha comes to Jesus and brings her disappointment, and now Mary is going to Jesus as well. And notice what Mary says, the exact same thing as Martha. Verse 32 Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She says the same thing, but I want you to notice the way that Mary says it. We're told that she fell at his feet. She doesn't bring a different prayer, kind of like Martha of saying, Yet, I I believe and I know that you can do this. No, she is beside herself with grief and she falls at the feet of Jesus. She is weeping. She is crying out to Jesus. She is saying, If you had been here, my brother would not have died again. Listen to the pain and the anguish of that prayer. How often have you prayed a prayer like that? Mary is weeping. And we see Jesus' response. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. In the Greek here, we see that Jesus is not only sorrowful, but it's a sorrow that's mixed with anger. Jesus is deeply moved. He is feeling what Mary is feeling. And then we're told, verse 34, he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Verse 35, the great theodicy, Jesus wept. Now, why would I say that these two words, Jesus wept, give us hope? Because again, I want you to think of what's happening in the story of Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha are weeping. All of Lazarus' friends are weeping too. Jesus knows that he is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knows that he has the power to make this terrible tragedy come undone. Jesus knows that he is about to work one of the greatest miracles that we see in the New Testament, a miracle that it will be a foreshadow to his own resurrection, a miracle that will confirm what he's just told Martha, I and the resurrection and the life. He knows what he's about to do. And yet Jesus wept. Why? I want you to ask that question. Why? Why would Jesus weep when he knows that he is about to restore joy to everyone? Jesus weeps because Mary is weeping. Jesus weeps because Martha is disappointed. Jesus is weeping because Lazarus really did die. You see... In our suffering, we do not have a God who's aloof, a God who's far off, a God who does not identify with us in the midst of our grief. But because God loved us so much that He sent His own Son to take on our flesh and to die in our place, we know that we have a God who weeps with us. With all of his power and all of his authority and all of his empathy, his love, his patience and his care, Jesus wept. He wept. Isaiah 53:4 Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Jesus weeps with you. He weeps with me in the midst of our grief, in the midst of our suffering, in the midst of our trials. Because he knows what it means. He knows what it means to be human. But he also knows what it means to be fully God. The last thing I want us to see. I want us to see the care of Jesus. Verse 38 Then Jesus deeply moved again. Again, it's that same Greek phrase, that same Greek word. He's sorrowful. He's angry. He's angry at death. He's angry at the fall. He's angry at sin that's brought death into the world. He is weeping because he cares for Lazarus. He cares for Mary. He cares for Martha. So he comes to the tomb. It was a cave and there was a stone that lay against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Mary, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he's been dead for four days. Again, he is completely dead. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Verse 41, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. An incredible miracle, a sign that points to his own resurrection. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Friends, it really happened. This story is true. The true story with so many eyewitness accounts where Jesus raised a man from the dead. He did it as a sign to point to the truth of his statement when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. But he also did it to point to his care for us. That Jesus has compassion on us in the midst of our suffering. Why did he do it this way? Why did he allow Lazarus to die? Why did he take Mary and Martha on this roller coaster ride to to allow them to experience such grief only to give them such joy? Why? Jesus tells us in his prayer. "That you go back? Verse 42, this is where we're going to end. As Jesus is praying to his Father in heaven, he says, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Everything that Jesus did in raising Lazarus from the dead, everything, every detail was so that Mary and Martha and Lazarus and his disciples and everyone who witnessed so they would believe. But what I want you to see as we study this passage some 2,000 years later is Jesus allowed Lazarus to die and rose him up from the grave again, not just for Mary and not just for Martha and not just for Lazarus. Jesus did all of this for you and he did it for me so that we might believe. And so the question for you and I as we study this passage, it's the same question that Jesus asked Martha. He asked her, Do you believe? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe? The question I leave you with What do you believe? Where is your hope? You see, with all of the philosophers and all the theologians and everything people have wrestled with for centuries about the existence of God in the midst of suffering, nobody has argued against the existence of suffering, not one. No one has said, you know what, the world's actually a great place. (laughs) There's no reason to grieve. You You know, it doesn't matter what you believe if you're an atheist or a Christian or you believe in some other false religion, every single one of us must reckon with the reality of suffering in this world. And I don't know what you've experienced. I don't know what hardship or what grief you may be even experiencing now. But the truth is this side of heaven, every one of us will grieve. Every one of us will mourn. Every one of us will be confronted with this broken and fallen world. The question is, what do you do with it? And the story of Lazarus reminds us that Jesus cares. He cares. He cares so much that he entered in to Lazarus' life. He became his friend. He cared so much that when Mary and Martha were weeping over his death, he wept with them. And he cares so much that rather than rushing to Lazarus' aid, he waited. He showed patience. And in that patience, Lazarus died. And he did all of this because he cares. He did all of this so that he could raise Lazarus from the dead because he cares for you. Because he wanted you to know that he is the resurrection and life. He is who He says He is. He has done what we read about. The story is true. and His promises will come true. Friends, Jesus died for you and He rose for you so that even in the midst of your grief, you might believe. Even in the midst of your sorrow, you might hold on to hope that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die and to rise again. And we thank you that even though we find ourselves much like Martha and Mary so often, wondering why you are allowing the things that we see in this world to happen. In the midst of our grief, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our suffering, so often we wonder, God, where are you? That if you would have just done it differently, we wouldn't be experiencing these things. And so, Lord, today we're thankful for the story of Lazarus. And the precious reminder that it is that you are always in control. That you are so much in control that you are patient. That you are patient even when we are impatient with you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your care for us. And we thank you that you weep with us. And we thank you that one day you'll dry our tears. And so we pray, God, that you'd give us hope, hope in the resurrection and joy on the other side, that we might believe that your son Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We ask this in his strong name. Amen.